welcome to another episode of Tomorrow by Design. I'll ask you this. Have you ever been in a space or place and thought, you know what this place reminds me of? It reminds me of my place back home in the Bundus, or a different place altogether. Well, in this episode with guest Roy Gedaiga, we try and take a stab at articulating why this happens and how you can better integrate culture in future projects within the built environment. Let's get into it. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Tomorrow by Design. Today, this being the second episode of season two, very young episode, very excited about a couple of things that we've had. We have planned for you guys um, in terms of uh, the guests that we're having, a new thing that we're having in this season that we wanted, uh, that we didn't have last season. And yes, there's a basically a lot more to learn from that. But anyways, I'm not doing this alone. I am with my co-hosts over here. Co-host in the house make some noise. Whoop. Whoop. Yeah, I'm a very obedient co-host. So that's the yeah. only noise I'm allowed to make uh, because I've been given a yellow card. <laughs> <laughs> Over to you in the other studio. <laughs> Wait, are we even introducing names or we're just saying other co-hosts? Other co-hosts. In case you, do, you don't already know. Okay. And I'm Leanne. <laughs> Referee. Yeah. How how are you the referee and you're the one getting yellow cards? I, no, see, I just see, I'm handing over to the ref. Oh, I thought I thought you were introducing yourself as the ref. <laughs> <laughs> that's me, right? That's me now. <laughs> yes, that's on the mic. Co-host number three, also known as referee. This is Agasa Ani in the scene. <laughs> yeah, throwing <laughs> the ball to co-host for whoop whoop. <laughs> co-host over here. I don't like that. I like host host. I like host badge, I don't like that quote. Uh, yeah. Wow, wow, not very subtle. Um, yeah, yeah, not very subtle. Mm-hmm. Sydney here, excited for episode two of season two, mm-hmm. 22. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, so. but yes, mm-hmm. yeah, culture, culture centered design. Mm-hmm. That's I'm excited, guys. I'm excited. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm trying to figure out what that means now with uh, with uh, our buildings. If there's something that I can that we've had from the previous conversations, um, and something that you can agree at is that um, you can tell a difference between the buildings that are there today, speaking about Nairobi, and the buildings that are there, Kitambo, the legs of Kina KICC, uh, I think Kenya Retails is one of them. Is that this you can feel like a sense of traditional Nairobi over there? You can say, like, this is like. Kenya, Kenya, Kenya. Mm, and I know, um, what are these guys called? Capital and uh, GTC are running a, <clears throat> a campaign where you take a photo of yourself in, in a location in Nairobi. You can either post it like a new one or an old one, just as long as you explain what what it is. Is mm. it a, a building? Is it? Yeah. So interesting to see what that would look like once it culminates in a gallery showing at the GTC. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Oh, that sounds really cool right let me drop a random little fun fact Mm -hmm. so the other day i discovered that one of the first buildings that were set up when you know nairobi became let's say not really a city but like a major town in the colonial times so like 1901 picture it one of the first buildings that was set up was Nairobi Club and like at the Gong Race Course. Oh, wow. Yep. <laughs> ah, guys, we'll, like, we, we go were for like, a school is everything should wait. We need space for enjoyment. Bring it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, enjoyment. So that's one of the much older historical buildings that we've never really thought about Nairobi Club. Yes, fun facts. <laughs> okay, okay. The more you know. Yeah, enjoy- 
I'm insisting on it. And enjoyment is definitely part of the culture. In this, ah, in yes, for the city. culture. Yes. Oh, I yeah, see what you did the there. Oh, my God. But you'll adopt, Mazze. Oh, my gosh. Guys, I think it's time we introduce our host, our, our guest. Yeah. Yep, yep. So to help us um, understand... Culture. Yep. So to help us understand about um, um, culture and what that looks like in the built environment and the design of the built environment for tomorrow... Um, we have a guest and one, if I may do say so myself, one of the <laughs> dear guests. Uh, my God. Come out of the floor, I back into No worries, no worries. So um, one of the people that um, I see as a, one of my favorite people within the built environment, and I do not use that word often, so you know that's heavy. Um an architect, a researcher, um, a man who knows quite a lot about uh, the space, um, hence him being here. Um, what, the one, the only, Roy Gilaiga. You guys, you guys are my sounds. Um, <laughs> I think first I'll say thank you very much. I mean, I'm thrilled to be here. Um, when Louis was telling me, about uh, TBD very early on the onset um, and this podcast. I was actually very excited to see what you guys are going to come up with and I'm happy that I'm part of your episodes. And, necess- and actually, no, essentially about culture-centered design and architecture, vernacular architecture and everything. So we can get into that um, and we can talk about that. So thank you very much for having me. Very good. Yeah, well, we're happy, happy, happy to have you. Mm-hmm. Pleasure to be here experiencing the culture with you. Your story, a culture and our force, you Maze? just wait. Maze? I'll share with you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I already see it. So, um, <laughs> anyways, so let's get straight into it. Ah, yeah, the significance of um, cultural heritage. Um, Oh, yeah. So, first of all, I'm really curious how you got into that particular field because it's very niche. Um, maybe you can mm. let us know how. Um, okay. So, funny thing is, the how is how can I put it? It's different. So, to be honest, I found myself kind of gravitating to cultures, cultural heritage very early before I even decided to kind of, let's say, quote-unquote, dedicate my life to architecture. So, growing up, I would always question why we never had a clear-cut cultural difference. And I guess, and I don't know whether that, that kind of makes sense to that point, but I guess it also came from the simple notion that it's normal to do something in particular. Perhaps it's because that's all we knew at the time, you know? Yeah. So, um, but then I think there were moments where my grandfather would kind of sit with me and also like explain to me the significance of my name. So Gitaika, my last name, has two connotations to it. Um, and I had to learn what that really means towards, you know, my own cultural heritage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll get back into, <laughs> into the significance of my name uh, because it's really embedded in, I guess, even the career that I decided to, to kind of go through. Oh. So, yeah, to a point. So as I began my career, um, I can only openly say to a point that I was a bit naive uh, to the comings and goings in architecture, as many are, let's be honest, because all you want to do is design a building and get paid, right? Yeah. 
But the moment I was exposed to like different cultures outside Kenya, to a point, um, drastically changed my perspectives. So when I got the chance to travel, yeah. So I went to different places um, to study and to live. So I lived in Malaysia for about three years, two, two and three quarter years, oh, wow. and in Australia for around the same amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of began to, I began to see that interest spark through this exposure, right? Which I found definitely goes beyond that form of education. Mm. So between my time when I was in Malaysia and coming to Kenya, um, I'm sorry, between Malaysia and Australia, I was in Kenya for about two, maybe two years, mm-hmm. which for me was like, okay, I think I need to go and experience culture again. I need to go experience a different, a different livelihood, you know. So yeah. that's when I went to Australia. But then there was this, if I can say, maybe like a, like a connotation with regards to the unknown, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and aborigines in Australia were, or maybe let's say in the southeast peninsula. So this is we're talking about Australia, um, New Zealand. Um, people never had a positive connotation towards them. And if you ask anyone who doesn't know necessarily how these people act and how they are, you'd hear anything from cannibalism to danger to security, really? security things. Oh yeah, yeah. So when I was going to Australia, that's the first thing I was told. Oh. Stay away from aborigines because they can be dangerous. You know, your life will be, and you know. So I, I went there with that naivete. Oh, I mean, anything in Australia also kill you. Yep, yep. People also lumped into the same group. Yeah, but you see, I think it's also that the 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 freedom of understanding that different cultures have different backgrounds. They have mm. different. Um, how can I put it? understanding of who they really are. Yeah. So the realization that I was very naive in the beginning mm-hmm. made me begin to understand that architecture goes beyond even materiality. So mm. when I can I can get deeper into that to a point, but I realized that it only architecture only exists when certain elements are brought together in a particular way mm-hmm. that begins to evoke certain emotions. So when you look at culture, when you look at architecture, when you look at the built environment, there are certain things, when you look at the building, you go like, wow, that's a beautiful building. Yeah. There's a reason why you're standing outside that building and looking at it and going, that is beauty. Mm. So you're experiencing it from an outsider's perspective looking in, you know? Yes. So like another thing that I also recently, I guess maybe in the past two years, connected me, you know, just going through the fact that I've been doing research on culture and communities and mm-hmm. both in, well, more or less like in Kenya, in Australia, in Malaysia, in other places that I travel to. Um, so when I came back to the country, obviously I came back during 2020 COVID, um, landlocked and things, but then I also, for some reason, found myself connected to like-minded practitioners mm-hmm. in Kenya. Nice. Um, who, I, I think through that, I also gained a mentor who constantly asks me questions um, to make me think and review the industry more and more. So there are certain decisions that I have made within the, you know, within my practice in Kenya, but then also within like my understanding of what culture is mm-hmm. through these type of collaborations, you know, and the understanding of past and present. Yeah. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Um, quite. Um, quite. 
Yeah, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. So I I have a question. I think you've mm-hmm. mentioned um that you've been to different places and it it kind of heightened how you um think about culture, how you perceive culture, right? Yeah, yeah. So coming back to Kenya, would you say that Nairobi um how how do i put this is there is there any culture reflected in our built environment would you would you say like there's some buildings you'd see and you're like ah oh, that's wildly nairobian like this is <laughs> kenyan or something like that is there any culture that has some of our buildings together or are we just heavily influenced by the west or something yeah. the thing about metropolitan cities and this is not a kenyan problem by the way yeah Metropolitan cities all over the world are influenced by what they noti- what what they deem as influential. Yeah. So in different places you will find that they they like okay let me put it this way like in places like Peru we have like you know South American cities um, you have some Australian cities as well you will find that because they realize culture is very important within themselves right that they express that culture through their buildings mm-hmm. now the problem we have in Kenya is that what we deem very important or very influential has very little to do with our core beliefs in our culture so that also reflects to our buildings it reflects yeah. to our Nairobi you know how we say quote unquote the Nairobi culture Yeah. No. So the Nairobi culture is not necessarily pegged on who we are inherently. It's only pegged with what is influencing us. So what we see online, TikTok, whatever, you know, what yeah. influences us to, to you know. It's I like Nairobi culture is con- contemporary. What's what's happening now? Mm. Nairobi culture is very contemporary, but it's also very reflective of what mm-hmm. is going on right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if 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 I was to answer your question in not so many words mm-hmm. i do not see i do not see a clear cut cultural symbolism or mm-hmm. clear cut cultural symbolism within nairobi that suggests our heritage mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay so cool. so let, then how how do we then bridge the gap between that reflectiveness and what was there mm-hmm. before before all the influences came about <laughs> that's a tricky one but let me first begin by saying that <laughs> striking a balance between like honoring the past and embracing the future mm. is very delicate but it's also very essential it's a very essential aspect of cultural evolution yeah so like the significance of cultural heritage lies in its ability to connect us to our roots so this I'm trying to remember who which architect said this or which researcher said this in order for us to move forward we have to have a foot in the past so uh-huh. we can understand where we are going you know mm-hmm. because a journey starts from one point but we are not at the beginning of this journey right mm-hmm. we are somewhere in between yeah but we have lost our way somehow in one way or you know one way or the other So if we do not put one foot in the past and understand how things were done and the reasons why they were done that way we will continue kind of deviating onto the wrong path right yeah so 
one of the things that I guess would help bridge that gap, well, there are a couple of things, but I would say education and awareness, mm. right? Yeah. Everything starts from a point of knowledge. Whether it's um, institutionalized knowledge or something that is embedded within your own culture, within your own being. You know, if your grandfather told you something and you know it's true and you tell your children and children tell your grandchildren, that is transferable knowledge down the line. So it's not education, it's not, you know, systematic in terms of how people go to school, but it's information that is passed down from generation to generation. Uh, and that is that can be it's it's what we that's what we call intangible education, you know, intangible mm-hmm. cultural heritage, right? Yeah. Tangible education is what you go to school to learn. You know what we learned in school, GHC. I know some of y'all are young, so social studies, let me say that. I'm clearly speaking out to my age, by the way. But with that type of education comes mm-hmm. you know, inclusivity and diversity because we're celebrating the diversity within cultural heritage. Yeah. You know, recognizing and supporting, you know, promoting different cultural expressions, ensuring that no single narrative dominates the representation of heritage. And you see, that's a problem. Even going back to the question of, do we have a specific culture in Nairobi? Mm-hmm. You know, because the problem is, we have over years, over the last, I would say 50 years, right? Mm-hmm. What has dominated the representation of heritage in Nairobi or in Kenya per se has nothing to do with our inherent cultural heritage. Sure. You see? Right. So how do we do that as well? We need to start looking at, we need to start documenting our culture. Mm-hmm. And then we need to start preserving that culture, creating safeguards, you know, um, through that integrity and knowledge for future mm-hmm. generations. Yeah. And now in the next step is restoring this cultural heritage. Yeah. Yeah. So creating, um, going through, you know, historical sites and artifacts, traditions, and also intangible cultural practices, as I said earlier, mm-hmm. those are the things that need to be documented. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, through that, while you're doing restoration, you need to bring in community. Because who is going to do this work? Oh, it's actually with the community, yeah. Yeah, it has to go with the community. And remember, this is very contextual, Mm -hmm. right? So if I'm doing something, let's say, in Western Kenya that has very heavy cultural connotation, yeah, Mm -hmm. I I can only work with the community in that area. Because they're the ones who are going to respect the preservation and restoration of that culture. Because yeah. it is who they are, you know. Then we you know, start looking at now like adaptive reuse and sustainable development. So you know, looking at old buildings, how you can repurpose them, not tearing them down and starting afresh, which is now, which has always been the problem in Kenya. Mm-hmm. Right? So embrace adaptive reuse and sustainability practices in architecture, urban planning. You know, like now they're doing. I don't know if you guys have seen this. There's the new design for the railway station. No, I haven't mm-hmm. seen this yet. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, so last week I went for one of the presentations, uh-huh. and one of the things that they're doing is that they're using this adaptive reuse structure. So they're maintaining a lot of the old building, okay. but embedding it within new architecture, right? Okay. So 
when you start looking at those 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 um, I guess like a narrative like that, you're mm-hmm. you're reusing an old building, so you're not bringing in new materials that are going to mm-hmm. I guess also you know um, affects the natural environment um, because there's a structure that is already existing. Yeah. So what you're doing in this I guess restoration period or the evolution is um, repurposing structures. Mm. I'm, I'm curious. Right. Will they, with the new mm. buildings that are that will come up, will they mm. be completely different in terms of design language? Kind of like what they've done with um, what is it, University of Nairobi? The new buildings look really different. Or um, Ani Kenya High. Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah. You can you can tell like it just feels out of place. Or there's Let a. Let me tell you why it feels the... out of place. Sorry. We are, let me tell you why it feels out of place. Mm. We've been we've been we've been we are so used to a specific type of architecture, a specific type of look and feel, mm-hmm. that when something is different, something that is different is introduced to I guess the system. We are quick to judge or we are quick to question that it doesn't look like something that is you know inherently Kenyan. But we yeah. have nothing that is inherently Kenyan to even begin with. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's true. You see what I mean? So yeah. you look at you look at the different structures. I mean, I'm not saying that they're all perfect. I mean, <laughs> I have my reservations on a couple of them. But <laughs> what I'm saying is there's a there's a clear shift that is creating this understanding of we cannot keep doing things the same way. Mm. Right? Yeah. Because if we keep doing the same things the same way, and then mm-hmm. you still say that we need change. We're never going to see that change. So oh, yeah. how do you affect how do you affect people's mindset into creating something new that they don't have any background in? You know? And that's what you're talking about. You need to start educating these people. You need to start showing them that this is happening. Um, one thing before I forget, we also need to leverage technology. Because you can't you cannot you can never dismiss technology. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by this is Creating things like virtual tours and digital archives, mm-hmm. right? The benefit for this is that it can make heritage accessible to a wider audience. Yeah. Because we may want to do something here in Nairobi, but it's not being done in Oajia, or it's not being done in Lamu, or it's not being done, you know what I mean? So once we start leveraging this technology and integrating this technology, means mm-hmm. that we can start influencing other different wider audiences that are not within the same context we're in. And the benefit about that, because it's very scalable, they can mm-hmm. start emulating the processes or the methodologies and then now create for themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's bringing in that, let me put it this way, international cooperation of sorts. Ah, okay. Because this is respectfully sharing knowledge um, that may help preserving a shared heritage. Because you'll find that and I've noticed this through some of the research that I've done in the past, you'll find that back in the day, how our forefathers used to build houses, irrespective of the fact that they, that they were not connected physically, mm-hmm. they had shared a shared knowledge, a shared heritage knowledge. Mm-hmm. Right? So by starting to look at those traits, you know, the, those similarities in the traits, the, the differences in those traits, you start to see that we need to start preserving this shared heritage because that's the only way also in Kenya we can start solving things like tribalism. Mm. You see what I mean? Yeah. So we're, when we're talking about this, this um, 
heritage. It's, I mean, we, uh, probably the topic we're talking about today is within the built environment, but <laughs> it, it's 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 a wider thing. You know, it's yeah. it is. It's built. It's bigger than the than the built environment. To be fairly honest, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I I actually absolutely agree with so much that you've said, mostly because I think you've brought out two things that I can say are significant when it comes to our culture, which is oral literature and community, like Ujami, Nyayo, Ujama, yeah. all that. Oh yeah. I think those are really heavy parts of our culture and they're also something mm. that's really easy to lose. You know, because oral literature, if we don't pass it down, if our our grandfathers, our fathers don't tell us what our names mean. We wouldn't ever maybe know what we were meant to do, you know, because African names have power exactly. and stuff like that. Well, so when it, comes to, mm, when it comes to now the built environment and everything and what mm. you're talking about, like documenting, preserving, restoring, you know, mm. those things mm. are what will help us, you know, have that wider reach. And I think you're really Yep. You know what's very big? You know what's very big in Kenya? Utumishi kwa water. It's something very small that people forget. Mm. But utumishi kwa water is service. True. Anyone who comes to Kenya always says this. The service in Kenya is different. Because how we were brought up to serve people is different. It has nothing to do with colonization. It just means that we have a respect. There's a respect we have to either our elders or visitors yeah that needs to be needs to be given up a, a shining light you know mm-hmm. it's just one of the things that i've been going through and wondering how we can do that but yeah okay all right i mean yeah what you're saying is i, I agree with that totally especially there's one thing that i'm thinking about um this this thing that i've been seeing around nairobi that i um like that um i don't know if you've seen this and i think and you can also help me out with this there's this thing that uh, guys have been doing i think it's called place marking my guys like tag mm-hmm. like different um, places in Nairobi with uh, they'll do graffiti art basically over there, and mm-hmm. they all have something to do with um, they're telling a story, a story in time um, of in history that Nairobi or Kenya in general had um, gone through, and I find that really intriguing, especially for somebody I can imagine for somebody who's visiting Nairobi for the first time they they get to experience um, the city through these stories as they're walking along, and also. Um, a way of also for the citizens themselves reminiscing seeing what it is that we've been through in the different parts of nairobi and seeing where we are going um just going back referencing back to the quote that you actually had mentioned something to think about what's to live by over there for you to move forward you have to have your foot in the past or something like that mm-hmm. yeah uh, i think that's actually a really cool initiative that a lot of artists are jumping on Yep. So, for example, um, some guys that I work with called Still organized the. There was this um painting exercise on um. Is it Kenyatta Avenue, mm-hmm. where the dustbins are painted, the planters are all oh, yeah. you know, tribal patterns, and then yeah. um the crosswalks, the, the graffiti art of. Chukia. And at that time, he hadn't even done the emails. No, no human is limited. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Where? I remember that also, yeah. Yeah, Kichabi is so rooted in whatever tribe, culture, race, whatever you are in Kenya, you know what you know what you do. Oh, yeah. So now, after, after the whole Indian thing, and now any visitors, any guests we have, often when they see that, they're like, oh, no, we know this guy, it's Kichabi, you know, like, 
back in the middle of Nairobi city, in the middle of blues and greens, it looks like we know our culture, we know it now, you know, we, we, we are using what has always been, but we mm-hmm. are putting in almost like digital art on a wall. You feel me? Uh-huh. <laughs> I think that's, that's a, a, a way that um, artists in our cities, in, it's, it's almost a trend in Eldoret, Kuru, Nairobi. Mm-hmm. Artists in our city are using the built environment to also show cultural heritage. Mm-hmm. So the way they tell the story, you can see what whatever it is that they are rooted in, their creativity, it comes so easily as Kenyan and futuristic, but the past is right there and it's telling us. Yes, I, I would love that to come out more in our built environment. Actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and even in songs, kind of like the way there are certain songs, they mention locations. So over time, mm-hmm. if certain places go, you know, let's say like shops or um, stores go out of style, let's say like a Nakumat mm-hmm. or a Java, you're like, hey, there was a time people couldn't afford Java. Look at us. So yeah, I think there's, there's other avenues for artists too, to also incorporate the built environment and culture in, or rather immortalize it in a sense. Um, and now just uh, shifting gears a little bit, uh, Roy, could you share some yeah. of the high, like the success stories when it comes to culture-centered design in the built environment? <laughs> no pressure. No, no, that's explain it. I think, I think, I think the first, before we even go to like successes, um, the reason why I always say let's put a foot in the back uh, in the past so that we can also understand where we're going is that there have been challenges. Mm. And uh, challenges come with everything that is unknown or unusual mm-hmm. to, I guess, the general masses, you know, if, if I can put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the main problem comes from a lack of education. Um, and I can tell you that I've had moments where I realized within myself that I even needed to learn new things. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I mentioned the, the story about how when I was going to Australia, I was told that these people are cannibals and blah, blah, blah. You need to be very honest and you need to be very safe. Mm-hmm. Don't go to where they are. And the, the house that I moved to was mm-hmm. literally by the, I guess, if I can put it by the perimeter of like where the Aboriginal communities used to live. Mm-hmm. Because my school wasn't too far away from there anyway. So to me, it didn't really make a difference. But I can tell you the best experiences I've had in my life till date was me having to sit down with the custodian of art in Western Australia. He's an Aboriginal man. Oh, wow. Um, and I had a couple of days with him. Um, and he, he would speak to me about his... His, his problems, his troubles, his challenges in life. He's seen people die. He's seen people, you know, be in prison. His own son was killed um, through the understanding of cultural heritage. And mm-hmm. we're talking about Australia that is maybe 15 years ahead of Kenya. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking, when we, when we start to talk about cultural, culture-centered design and cultural heritage, what I'm doing right now, and people like-minded like myself, we are just creating the foundation. Yeah, you know, I, I like to call myself a student of culture and heritage, you know. Um, and I've had people like Louis calling me an expert, but sometimes I just tell myself, listen, I am a student of culture and heritage. 
mm-hmm. because I'm <laughs> still trying to understand my own culture, right? But even through through that understanding, there were two projects that we did, um, and this these two projects happened in Australia. Um, there was one there, there was through this uh, the Aboriginal community leader. Um, there was a, there was a museum that is called Dumbarton. Um, D A M B U R T A N G Dumbarton. I'll share with you the information. Mm-hmm. So what they did, or what they wanted us to do, was come up with a museum space for their culture, for their community, because they needed space to showcase their own art. You know, um, Aboriginal Australians are inherently artists, mm-hmm. and I think you've seen this with the type of art they do. It's beautiful. It's breathtaking art. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and because that's who they are, and they have this clean connection to the art, uh, the ground. So even their buildings and their 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 understanding of what architecture should be has it has a name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't want to get into those cultural names right now, but they have all, they have given it. They've given all these things names, and they've given them and culturally. Um, um, strong names, you know, mm-hmm. that go back thousands of years, right? So, creating this, uh, you know, kind of presenting and designing a space for their community to come and showcase their art, which was primarily done by women, by the way, you know, okay. which is something else that we can never forget. You know, women and children now, you hear people talking about women and children, and maybe people go like, but why? We'll get into that later. But <laughs> when, when you start to talk about culture-strong communities, you'll see that there are certain things within these communities that they're very good at. Mm-hmm. And so we created, we designed a space for them, and it was through this, um, I guess, through this design, through this understanding of who they really are, um, also got me a nomination for an award. Mm-hmm. Because oh, of the kind of work that I was I was doing with them, you know, mm. um, yeah, and I also kind of through that through my thesis as well and through my uh, my study because I was still in Australia but I'm looking at designing you know quality of space yeah mm. and I chose Kibera as one of my sites oh. and I came to learn that the space that I selected was a school so I designed a school in Kibera. Um, when I came back to Kenya, I presented this design to the company that was awarded the, the work to do, the, or rather, the, the, I wouldn't call it the tender, but they were given a job to kind of design the space. So I presented okay. my work to them. And I could see their eyes glow. You know, oh my God. Ah. We have never thought about this. Mm. Never thought about this. But then you see also, we're in Kenya. So the problem is, are you going to design something that goes completely out of the norm mm. and then all of a sudden your funds are cut off? So mm. that was where the problem came. Yeah. So there are always there are always proper lessons and then there are always challenges. So anyway, that's a cultural shift. Yeah. Then there was another project that I did that I worked with the community in a space in a place called Bayswater. Mm-hmm. That was uh, north of the river in Perth. Um, and they were trying to create this culture-centered, like a community town center. 
So Bayswater was generally a project in Western Australia that was trying to revitalize the streetscape or the town center of a specific community. Mm -hmm. um, and that road was leading towards a major train station, like a train stop per se. Um, and Louis, you mentioned something about placemaking. So that was one of the things that we ended up working with the community about. Oh, okay. So we started learning things like culture-centered design in a whole other level. Mm -hmm. Because I, I, this is what I see, this is what I think, um, how I categorize it. Culture-centered design is more macro. You're looking at it from a macro vision. Mm -hmm. But then coming down to the nit bits is now human-centered design. So HCD is one of the learnings that we kind of went around. You know, when you're asking community questions and you're talking to them about what they really need, mm -hmm. um, you know, how to slow down traffic, how to, you know, make that space look beautiful and all these things. So um, we ended up doing this whole um, art piece on the on on like there's a long wall it was about okay. 150 meters okay. and that was painted by children of that community it was beautiful but then it's it's just one of those things that you you start to understand that local communities actually really need specific things when they're shown the benefit of what they can actually have so that is what we started to learn at the time and we understood that at the time so i started bringing all these things that I was learning from Dumbertang to Bayswater, even within my thesis. Um, and that was now, all that work was all just now collected and I was nominated for an award, um, you know, in Australia. So that was fun. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, it was must have been. Yeah. I mean, you got an award for it. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I can say this for a fact, it's something that I would not have thought that I would be, you know, um, exposed to. But you see, it's that thing for exposure. Again, maybe it's a thing that Kenyans really need to say that, oh, for us to be better, we need to be exposed. I feel like, no, we can actually use people who've been exposed to show us how things can be done. Mm -hmm. um, all these benchmarking things, this is now me just being a hater, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> all these benchmarking things that the government keeps doing, it's just a waste of taxpayers' money um preach the reason i say that there's so many exposed people locally right now mm. you can build a knowledge base from these people all you have to do is just give them the opportunity to do that man you know okay, and they will gladly do it you know yeah yeah so anyway that's just my two cents of hating on the government but yes well <laughs> It was right, one, I think. One of those sense. Which, award, which award were you nominated for? I, I'm so curious. <laughs> Sorry? Which which award were you nominated for? Oh, so it's the okay, how can I put it? It's the award of excellence in um in Australia. So it's normally awarded to I guess students <laughs> who are just graduating. So it's given to those students who have shown that they have uh, a zeal for you know some a few specific things but then the beauty the the reason why i showcase that uh nomination is because it's given to a very few select people so in in the whole country mm -hmm. they select their weight one two three four five states if i'm not wrong mm -hmm. each state is only given to students 
So in oh. all of Western Australia, we were, no, 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 four. So in all of Western Australia, we were four. And I was, my friend is on who won it, you know, good for her. But so I was just below her. So I was the second, I was run, the runners up. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. 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 Congratulations. Okay, right. As a yeah. as a call to action, how mm-hmm. how would you how would you suggest that that uh, designers and developers include cultural design in the in the design process? Should they include it in feasibility or or where exactly do you think uh, would be the, the the best place to, to extract impact at a really accessible level for for yeah. Um. Just repeat that question again. There's a there's a small bit I didn't get. Ah, okay. Uh, uh as a sort of a low hanging fruit or call to action sort of thing. Um, how, how do you how do you believe? Or how do you think? Uh, uh, developers or or people who are trying to implement culture centered design into their buildings, yeah. into their developments. Uh, how how should they start trying to implement these principles? Should it be like a section in sort of the feasibility study where where they research among the community uh, what what their culture is and what what should be done? Because yeah, you're right. I think you you've mentioned it. So you see the 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 way I've mentioned a lot about education and training. Um, so this research is also part of education and training, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess practitioners in the built environment should really invest in research and innovation, um, especially if it's related to heritage preservation and sustainable design, um, because this can lead to like developing new technologies, materials, methodologies, you know, enhancing the effect the effectiveness of these preservation efforts. Yeah. So yeah. I guess this it also comes back to the thing that I was saying earlier, you know, Tumezoya something so much that we do not want to change, right? <laughs> so the moment we start to see that yeah, there's something that is coming that is a bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we do this? So the problem is also we do not have uh centers for research and development in Kenya when it's when it comes to specifically when it comes to built environment practitioners mm. we have very few guys who are doing it in isolation yeah and i can i can put it that way we have very yeah. few people who are doing it in isolation yeah. but the problem is our policies um and regulations don't have an arm that talks about research and yeah. and uh in, yeah so that 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 is not there right yeah. we also need to create this public awareness and advocacy so just Raising public awareness about the importance of heritage is something that it sometimes it can look like it's something very small, but engaging in advocacy efforts to promote these values is uh, at, to a societal level, by the way. See, at the, you're going to the newspaper, it won't help, but go to the society. <laughs> I'm serious. Go, go to the society, go to the community, and give them this public awareness and advocacy issues. Yep. And also, create a knowledge sharing platform for them mm. because and and I say this specifically you're creating it for them it's not for you, <laughs> you so all that jargon practice. and lingo needs to be toned down when when you're creating it for people yeah exactly because let me ask you this how many meetings and webinars do we go to 
on a yearly basis mm. as let's say advocacy people like us at you know even louis you know this very well yeah we go for so many webinars the problem is a lot of this work remains in isolation mm-hmm. so and then and then when it comes to like talking about oh we need to do um what's it called like participation uh, or something like sensitization public participation and sensitization to who mm-hmm. you will you go do public participation and sensitization up in any intercontinental hotel who are you helping exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah, who is your target audience yeah it's not inclusive you know mm. so these knowledge sharing platforms should be for the community mm-hmm. forum for one for the common monanchi and i call them stakeholders of this culture mm-hmm. and this heritage they are the stakeholders of heritage and that's when i was you remember when i was earlier saying that women and children are the ones who used to build these things they used to be part of the arts they used to do all this there's yeah. there's a specific reason why now i'll go into a very short story period when 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 i guess even in the states uh, south america australia whatever it is mm-hmm. even here in africa when we were fighting for independence mm-hmm. the men went to fight the wars yeah that's true so looking at who was left to till the land to maintain culture to maintain the heritage to build the houses whatever it was to construct huts to do all the, it was the women yeah and the benefit for that is the children learned from their mothers yeah. and their aunties and their older sisters and the likes so children will never be forgot should never be forgotten through this and i'm and i'm saying children collectively because there are also male children in there yeah. but there's a reason why i'm saying men yeah right yeah. because men were out fighting the wars so it comes to the point when even the men came back from fighting the wars on a patter they find that Windows houses have been built Mm. things have done things have been changed things you know there's a system that has been put in place because butter trade was originally a woman's trade it had nothing to do with the man because the man was never there yep okay. so when you start to look at things like those you know you can't you cannot forget the the necessity and the influence that a woman has in everyone's life yeah and had not not just has now had back then Mm-hmm. has today and will have tomorrow you, you get what i mean yeah. and it's very interesting to note that a lot of um the people in these sustainability um positions drive sustainability in companies and sectors are mm. women a lot yeah. of them a huge chunk <laughs> mm. you know why also i've noticed this it's it's something that i guess maybe it's a larger conversation but when it comes to empathy Mm-hmm. women have more empathy than men mm-hmm. when it comes well, yeah. to mm-hmm. you know you know when when you say that i feel someone's emotions i can feel some it's and it's not a bad thing and i feel like people need to get out of this connotation of equity and equality when it comes to ooh, talking about women and feelings women and feelings has nothing it's it's not a wrong connotation it is what it is it's the truth it right mm-hmm. now the problem comes in when there is now this whole you know wokeness about oh we have to do this we have to do that that one has its own stage yeah right um and and so when we're talking about this you know when empathy um just the emotional connection to communities 
you'll find that when a man is going to site somewhere, talking to communities, talking to anakuja na kiburi, kifua mbele, you know. <laughs> it happens so many times and I've seen it so many times, right? But when a woman, when a lady is doing the same job, it's very, there you go. It's it's a very heavy spiritual com- commitment and connection yeah. to even the local communities. So mm-hmm. when when you're talking to people, when you when you're driving this, um, you know this 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 I guess how can I put it? Uh, these structures yeah. on sustainability, preservation, heritage, culture, cultural awareness. Women have to be at the center of this. Yeah, have to. The moment you move, you remove a woman from this, you've already lost the plot. Oh yeah, yeah. And you can quote me on that. I'm gonna link that gif for Mac. Not gif. The me for Macofi. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah. So um I'm I'm curious with about you've mentioned like-minded people being in isolation and, yeah. but but somehow you managed to get your own community so how can all these people in different pockets but have sort of the same vision and it kind of collides at some point with the sustainability culture how can they get to find each other We have to we have to remove pride from the topic that's always a problem mm-hmm. um the the problem with you know there are, there are certain institutions that are funding this this type of research and development mm-hmm. that could be kenyan but most of them are not yeah. and then you come and say that there there's also some work that needs to be done someone has done the research this one has done the research this one has done the research in isolation mm-hmm. but you do not want to relinquish your rights of ownership you know by sharing and that's why i say knowledge sharing uh, is is very important right yeah. these platforms of, of knowledge sharing so it you can look at it from two different levels so you know from our, uh, us as practitioners and how we are supposed to kind of connect this information mm-hmm. we need to be able to get to a point where maybe 10 maybe 20 30% of the work that we do the research that we do is open sourced yeah you know yeah. that way anyone who is interested because and i say this um very carefully the work that we do is not just for built environment practitioners it's mm. also for built environment um what they called in um people who are interested in the built yeah. environment mm-hmm. you could be a doctor enthusiast yeah. you can be a doctor you can be a lawyer you can be someone who didn't even graduate from primary school or high school mm-hmm. but the moment because we all interact with the built environment one way or the other true every day yeah so you have interests in the built environment and you want to know something specific all you have to do is get on your phone go to google search what you need and because someone has done the research it's there yeah, yeah. so you're disseminating this research you're creating an open sourced point for people to even come in and see and learn mm. what happens is what people forget is that the moment people start to see that you're the one who's done this work you're the one who's going to be known as the expert of this work so okay when you remove that pride of ownership mm. you start to become the voice of the community the community mm. yeah okay and speaking of so, the voice yeah. 
Um, mm. You mentioned that your grandfather told, uh, mentioned, uh, was telling you about what your name means and you had promised that they begin. Yeah. So we are holding you to that. Yes, yes, uh, yes Right before yes. we run out of time. Just wrap, <laughs> wrap it up with that, please. <laughs> so, Githaigna, um, it's funny that you said that we're running out of time. So, Githaigna has two connotations to, to it. So, the first meaning, which is almost... Um, direct translation is a man who keeps time. He's <laughs> a timekeeper. Yeah. Um, because of, you know, I guess it's just inherently, that's how I guess my grandfather and, because I was named, I'm named exactly after my grandfather. So he, my grandfather, his grandfather and the likes, that is that is the, the system that we have always followed. Right? That's one. The second one, <laughs> which is now funnier, is a traditional doctor, Mitishamba. Huh. Yes. Ah. Okay. But yes, yes. So, <laughs> so which is funny in that it could be a doctor of the soul or a doctor of physical need. Oh yeah, or of the built so, environment. Or of the built environment, because <laughs> you know, if something needs to be fixed, Ni who do you go to? Who are you gonna call? Yeah. Kuja. But yeah, so I'm I'm a I'm a, I'm, a, I'm historically and culturally, I'm a with lack of better word, I'm a witch doctor who keeps time. Doctor Stranger for sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's Doctor Strange. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, call, call me Doctor Strange. Yes. Right. I think this is a, that's an that's a very um solid um um last wrap wrap up um for this. I mean, there are a lot of questions around this that we'd like to ask. Um, I think this warrants us to have another episode that we where we'll bring Roy back and continue the conversation. I mean, I've thoroughly. Oh yeah, I'm I'm definitely open for that. Oh yeah, oh yeah, really enjoyed the Nini how this thing has gone. All right, so that wraps up this episode of uh, a culture centered um, design within the built environment. I hope you learned a lot. If there is anything that you think um you'd like to add to the conversation, you can always um holler at us on our socials, um at TBD Kenya. Um, on all our socials it's pretty standard we'll also have a link um, we'll also link um, to Roy's socials as well he does articles on LinkedIn um, quite regularly very informative thanking you again Roy for taking the time to be with us uh, and engaging this conversation um, it was really fun it was really fun anything else guys yeah oh yeah the show notes will also be linked to this uh, episode so in case you want to follow up a particular topic or the museums or the places that he was uh, Roy was talking about you'll find them there all right